morning and welcome to episode 683 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? You know very well how I am. <laughs> it just sort of feels like we're leading a, a double life it does. Now, now that we're recording the podcast because it used to be the case that we would talk only when we did the podcast, and then we would go about our separate lives. But now we have lives together away from the podcast, and now we are recording as podcast us after spending the day as stompers us. And yeah, it feels well, like we're hiding hiding things from the listeners. I mean, it also feels like you're living a double life specifically because you are nothing like the person on this podcast. <laughs> it's like that laugh, for instance, that everybody just heard. I that, laugh. No, no, never. Never. I never laugh. Ben is in a Ben is in a complete zombie haze all the time. The, the first episode of this podcast, episode one, it was ten times the energy he brings to life, and uh, this is like a very odd thing to go from from real life Ben, who just grunts at you sometimes if he's extremely impressed, to this podcast Ben, who's like really bringing it. Like you're a normal, engaged human being, laughing at the right parts. Yeah. Talking about things. I can't do this all day. <laughs> I would run out of steam very quickly. It's true. I guess it must take a lot out of you. It does. Uh, yeah, no, it's I feel like I have two bends. Like you are it's like the it's the exact opposite of the prestige. I I think. Oh, I'm not sure if it is or not, but I think it is. I save my best self for the podcast. But it it also feels weird today because you and I spent an entire day watching baseball that mattered. And now we have to talk about this fake MLB nonsense mm-hmm. that, that nobody cares about. That certainly we don't care about it. We don't care about it as much as we care about a unofficial spring opening scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, we won't we won't bore people by teasing little bits of our book that will be out a year from now. But there is this whole other baseball that we are sinking ourselves into, and then there is real baseball, which is almost secondary, even though I'm still writing about it and we're still talking about it and following it throughout the day. It definitely feels like the less important baseball, even though to everyone else, it is the more important baseball. All right, let's do a couple quick banters about things we've talked about previously. Yeah, we have. I have put a stop to some conversations in person for fear that we would use up banter that could be used on the show. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and because he hates talking. <laughs> yeah, I have to do a lot of talking these days. <clears throat> All right. So Dan Jennings, we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right after we talked about Dan Jennings, this feels like a long time ago. This is a three-day weekend. But right after we talked about Dan Jennings, the Marlins first had that embarrassing thing where uh, none of their players showed up to a like publicity event. Mm-hmm. Fans could pay $100 to hang out with fans. Uh, sorry, with members of the team. And not a, at a fish and chips event, by the way, at a, I should say, hashtag fish and chips event. 
which I guess probably means it, it must have been a poker night, right? That must be a pun. If there's a hashtag, then then I'm assuming there's a pun here. That makes because, sense. So then, because fish would be the Marlins, and then chips is, has got to be poker or some sort of casino. Right. And I'm guessing this is a casino night with the Marlins. And Jennings and his coaching staff showed up, but no players did. Yeah, no players did. And so then you have to, first you wonder, oh, whoa, is that a, is that a thing? Is that, was that a, a protest of some sort? And then you wonder, if not a protest, was it poor organization? Because the coach, I, it does seem weird. Doesn't it seem weird to you that the coaching staff of a major league team could possibly be responsible for telling millionaires what time the charity casino night is. <laughs> yeah, well, it was not mandatory that Marlins players attend. I don't know whether it's whether and make that mandatory, whether that whether that's a collectively bargained issue, whether you want your players to show up at fish and chips night. But they were not required to attend, and maybe there was just an assumption that someone would attend, that out of 25 players, someone would show up. And no one did. And, and there were comments. There was a comment by a Marlin saying that it wasn't a protest about Jennings or anything. It was just a long day and there was a game and, and they were tired and it was bad timing. But yeah, you kind of wonder whether it's something else. I saw LaTroy Hawkins and Vernon Wells bowling. Uh huh. Just, at a just charity on. event. Yeah. It's oh. my claim to fame. Okay. Uh, so I, uh, and then uh, more Dan Jennings. Did you see that ma- opposing managers have been taking like not particularly veiled shots at his managing, which is very unusual. I saw Chip Hale's comment yeah, about so it how it's frustrating that a guy can get hired without going through the grind and earning which it. Which is uh, okay. Which is, I guess, is fine. Although, because Chip Hale did go through the grind. You know, he was a bench coach mm-hmm. for a long time. But, I mean, if you're going to complain about that, wouldn't you complain about all the millionaire baseball players who get to do it without any grind before you did the GM who's been working in front offices? Anyway, whatever. So not only that, but Chip Hale, I'm going to read from a Miami Herald piece. Hale pointed to what he perceived to be a managing oversight by Jennings last week when, believing the Marlins didn't have a right-hand already in the bullpen, sent in right-handed pinch hitter, A.J. Pollock to face lefty Mike Dunn last week. Pollock's two-run homer proved the difference in the outcome, never mind the fact that right-handed reliever Brian Morris had warmed up one inning early and was ready to go if summoned. So, Hale is insulting Jennings managing while himself actually being unaware of the situation, it appears. And then on Sunday, after Jennings' bullpen moves figured prominently in a win over the Orioles, Buck Showalter sounded unimpressed. Quote, they used, what, three guys three days in a row out of the bullpen to get it done? We'll see how that works down the road. So that's kind of interesting, right? You don't ever really hear managers insulting managers. I I didn't really – I guess this isn't the Marlins' concern, but of all the things that I thought, of all the the tension that I thought that this might create, manager-on-manager tension was not what what, what I expected, but apparently managers feel insulted by this. Yeah, it feels a little like an unwritten rules violation to publicly chastise another manager's managing because managers hate being second-guessed by anyone, and you'd think that they wouldn't want to do it to each other, and yeah, they must not regard Jennings as a member of the manager fraternity. 
Yeah, so I guess I, I would say that managers, there's a professional courtesy to to not criticizing mm-hmm. your own. But I guess maybe there's maybe this is the 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 uh, manifestation of professional courtesy by sort of saying that an outsider is not welcome in your profession and that the 29 are sticking together against him or something. Uh, it is odd. I I guess it's somewhat foreseeable. He's the boss. They all have a boss who's just like him. They all probably, to some degree, resent their boss, as most people do. And so the idea that uh, their boss could come in and take their job is probably insulting to them, I guess. I don't know. It seems silly. Yeah, kind of undercuts them. If they have some kind of power struggle going on with their GM, and they're saying that they know something that the GM doesn't know because they're the manager, and now in this other team there's a GM just becoming the manager. And if it works, then it's sort of showing that their boss could do the job. So we'll see if it works. Did you watch the Roosevelt's on PBS? Nope. There's this great quote in there about FDR from somebody at the time who said, FDR is, quote, is the old, is the first man in the White House to understand that my boss is a son of a bitch. Great quote. <laughs> uh-huh. I've thought about that, uh, that quote a lot because I am in charge of some people now and I feel like mm-hmm. I am kind of obnoxious. <laughs> And I feel bad about that. I want to do better. All right, second banter. Tim Lincecum allowed Mm -hmm. three home runs. That's pretty much my banter. (laughs) Yeah, he allowed three home runs. He allowed, I think, four runs in five innings. Struck out four, walked three. Really, frankly, to be totally honest, if you strike out four, walk three, and allow three home runs, you should allow a lot more than four runs. So. Still, still getting it. Still getting the the whatever Lincecum, Lincecum's dad luck there is to be gotten from being born of Lincecum's dad, I guess, because that's not a good start at all. Uh, but yeah, five innings, five hits, three walks, three homers. So eight base runners, three homers, and only four runs in five innings. Kind of magical in itself, but. I guess you'd say that that's a, a little regression. Yeah, well, last year I picked the perfect time to write about Tim Lincecum right before everything fell apart. I wrote about him like exactly when his season was at its high point, which I guess is what happens a lot of the time, because we write about the player who's doing well or doing something unexpected, and then he stops doing so well or doing something so unexpected and so, yeah, we talked about Lincecum when he had a 2.08 ERA, and clearly this was coming was at that point. your That was your Grantland debut, wasn't it? That was a bad debut. Yeah, and the, I liked that the headline was, don't call it a Lincecum back, because right. it, it was not. It was <laughs> No, it turned it out to be. It was not a Lincecum yeah. back. Don't call it one ever regardless. If it is, don't call it that. It's kind of good in, in retrospect, because it makes it sound like I, I was saying that it wasn't a comeback. Yeah. If you don't read the article, if you just look at the headline, it seems a lot less yeah, dumb. Actually, uh, yeah, he allowed, the next day, he allowed six in four innings. The day after the start, at, the next day, so 24 hours later, that, that article lasted 24 hours. The start after that, five runs in three innings. And so his ERA was up a full run within four starts of you writing it. Good All memories. Right. So let's talk about Steven Strasburg. So, Steven Strasburg, as everybody knows, is having a hard time of it. He's allowing seven runs per nine, of which six and a half are earned. He is, I 
think I saw this. Jeff Passan, I think, said the highest or second highest ERA among qualified pitchers. He, of course, I will just get this out of the way so that we don't have to waste a level of conversation noting this. His FIP is pretty good, although not great, but it's three runs, three runs lower. If he had an ERA of 3.67, which is what his FIP is, nobody would be complaining about him, but he doesn't. He has an ERA of 6.50. And, of course, Steven Strasburg, I, probably more than any other pitcher in the world, this gets attention because Strasburg is the most hyped pitcher in history and was not only the most hyped pitcher in history, but was an extremely good pitcher in, in his first five years who always seemed like he was on the cusp of something incredibly great, which is what we all expected of him. And yet, in those five years, he never did get there. He never did manage to be that ace. He was widely perceived to be an ace without ever actually having been one. He got, I think, one fifth-place Cy Young vote in his first five years. He made one all-star team. He missed one postseason uh, for kid glove-related reasons. And now he's terrible. So so I guess the first question is, how much accuracy is there in the sentence, so now he's terrible? Well, much of my research for this podcast involves reading a Jeff Sullivan post from a couple weeks ago where he dove deep into Steven Strasburg and he looked at all the stuff that was going wrong and he found that there were actual reasons to worry that it wasn't as simple as just pointing to the high BABIP, and he does have an extremely high BABIP. It's now at 390, but there seemed to be a reason why he had a high BABIP, and there was an explanation from Steve McCaddy about the the Nationals pitching coach about how Strasburg had altered his delivery to pitch through a minor injury, and then bad habits developed during that time had stuck, and it seems telling, perhaps, that he has pitched much worse with runners on base, that he's been fine, more or less fine, with with the bases empty, but has been much worse with runners on. And you can kind of see that in his, his strand rate, his left on base rate, is right now 57.8%. So when a guy gets on against him, he scores almost half the time. He's just been bad at at preventing guys from scoring once they get on, and he's allowing a higher contact rate, and I think much of the difference... I want you to go back, because, okay, so explain what Jeff's point really was. Why did Jeff explain that the contact that he has been allowing is not necessarily just flukish bad Babbitt luck? Well, because it has happened there's been a pattern to it where it's happened with runners on more so than let me rephrase steve mccaddy's explanation for it tell me steve mccaddy's explanation for why strasburg is allowing bad contact okay steve mccaddy's explanation i can just read from an article that jeff cited when Strasburg's left ankle was taped up, it made it hard for him to land properly on his front foot, which led to him throwing across his body, leaving pitches up and off-speed pitches losing their bite. But in between starts, McCaddy worked with Strasburg on fixing his alignment on the mound. They simply didn't translate to the game, and McCaddy says he's been fine in the bullpen. His stuff has been great in the bullpen, but then he gets out there and he falls back into these bad habits that were developed while he was trying to pitch through a minor injury. Okay, so let's focus on this for a minute. 
does this explanation that McCaddy has offered, A, seem reasonable to you? B, does it say that this article ran three weeks or two weeks or whatever ago, and that, in fact, the problems have gotten worse, and that whatever fix he has in the bullpen has not only not translated to the mound, but like also, like why would that be? Yeah, I I don't know. I never know what to think when someone says mechanical change, mechanical problem. Sometimes it seems to really be the case. Other times, I don't know. Maybe it seems like the player is trying to justify poor performance somehow or a coach is. Maybe the coach is trying to make the player more confident by saying it's just a simple mechanical tweak and he's close to fixing it. So I can believe that if a player has some sort of injury, Strasburg had a minor left ankle injury in the spring, and maybe he could have altered his mechanics to compensate for that somehow, and the bad habits could have stuck. But yeah, you, it's not, it's not very obvious. Jeff couldn't find a, a clear towel looking at, at, you know, pictures and video from this year and last year. So it's not something that stands out incredibly obviously, and, you would think that if Matty knew exactly what the issue was weeks ago and Strasburg knew exactly what the issue was weeks ago, that it would have been fixed by now, assuming Strasburg is coachable and McCaddy can coach. Well, he is coachable because he got fixed in the bullpen, right? We're we're mm-hmm. led to believe that this was fixed already in the bullpen and he just need, needed to bring it. I, look, I will say that Steve McCaddy has spent, I don't know, 60 hours on this and I've spent eight minutes on this so he is to be deferred to but i don't buy that i i i just don't i like uh, to me if he's if it is the ankle injury that hurt him and he's and he is continuing to throw poorly and it to me that says oh well gosh well the ankle injury is still hurting him once the ankle injury stops hurting him i have a very hard time believing that a bad habit that he picked up from three weeks of pitching with a sore ankle is going to overwhelm the 20 years of muscle memory or even the three years of muscle memory that he's got. I mm-hmm. just don't really buy that. I don't buy that he has, in that short period of time, developed a bad habit that he just can't kick, and I don't. I don't think so. So I'm going to say I don't believe that. Okay. Second, yeah, go second ahead. point. Matt Trueblood also wrote about Strasburg and his issues on May 8th, uh, which was... 17 days ago and uh at the time uh matt what interested matt so much about this was that strasburg had become phil hughes i think the first headline that we had was something like how strasburg became phil hughes he had become an extreme strike zone pounder like he was up there with hughes which was not where he had normally been and indeed if you look at strasburg he has walked very few batters. He has walked 13 batters in 46 innings, and three of those came in the first game he pitched. He walked one in his last start, one the start before, one the start before that, two, and then one. These were all bad starts. Like These are five bad starts, but without any walks. And so if you... I know that... I, I know command and control are different things. I know that when we say them, we mean different things. However, you would think there would be a, a extremely tight correlation between command and control. And if Strasburg is un, is able to throw more strikes at a higher rate than he's ever thrown in his career, which he is, he's pounding the strike zone like he never has, it just doesn't really pass the smell test to me that he's got this incredible control that never misses the strike zone 
except always misses by exactly the wrong two inches because, like, he's broken. Like, to me, that is not the profile of a guy whose ability to control the baseball is broken. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think that's it. I don't think that I, – I think that he is – well, let's say that his – okay, now I'm going to back up. You could make the case that, in fact, Sam's an idiot and that he's wrong. And you could say, well – no, here's the explanation. He has he has a worse control than ever, and he's compensating by focusing on throwing strikes more than ever because that's kind of what command and control are. Command that's the distinction. Control is sort of are you trying to throw strikes? Are you a uh, are you avoiding walks because you are a strike zone pounder uh, or whatever the case may be? Maybe you just have great command. And then command is is are you able to put the pitch where you want it? And so. Maybe he has adjusted to his poor command by becoming extremely intent on throwing the pitch right down the middle. And that's why I've had the hypothesis in the past that for pitchers on the downslope of their career, FIP is a lagging indicator because they adjust to their loss of stuff by uh, by becoming Joe Blanton. And so they end up being around the strike zone, doing the things that make you a FIP god uh, while not being very good pitchers. So that's conceivable. But, uh, and so I will allow that that is an alternate explanation. Uh, but I don't see that. I, I think that that is not the most likely explanation, given what we know about Strasburg. Um, and uh, so, I'm going to say no. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when there was a whole controversy about Strasburg pitching to contact? I think that was in 2013, and it was maybe I don't know. He he wanted to be more efficient, and he either took it upon himself to pitch to contact more to try to get outs more quickly or maybe that was a pitching coach inspired move also and he struck out fewer guys that year and he was basically the same effectiveness as he had been the year before but there was briefly some talk about how Strasburg was trying to pitch to contact after being one of the hardest pitchers to make contact against the odd, so the odd thing about that is that he had a career worst walk weight uh-huh. <laughs> yeah so I think there's some precedent for for that, for him just suddenly deciding that he wants to be a different type of pitcher. So maybe he had some other sort of epiphany, which may or may not have been counterproductive. I mean, he's he's throwing a little bit more slowly. He's lost velocity basically every year of his career, right? He came in throwing 90 eight or so and he's he's lost a little velocity but not really much this year if you look at at brooks it's basically the same as it was last year so i don't know if that's any sort of explanation doesn't seem like it he's throwing more fastballs this year but that's not a dramatic change either it's not like he's changed his pitching approach at least in terms of the pitch types he throws and i haven't dug into counts or handedness or anything like that i'm just looking at the the general overall stuff but nothing really stands out there so i don't know your your theory then is that he is still being bothered by the same injury that's the leading hypothesis no i don't i don't know that there is a leading hypothesis i don't know if you said this by the way but his movement is all the same his velocity is is for all you know for all intents and purposes is also the same. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. 
it's down. You could make the case that it's down. You could, I guess you could make the case that it's down and that that's a, an issue, but it's not way down. This is not Jared Weaver. So I guess, yeah, one hypothesis is that he's still bothered. Although if he's still bothered, I mean, again, it goes back to he's throwing as hard as he ever did, more or less. He's throwing with as much movement as he ever did, more or less. He's throwing strikes as much as he ever did, more or less. I, I, if I had to guess, honestly, if I had to guess what a leading hypothesis is right now, I would just guess that he's made some bad pitches, that like bad pitches have clustered and that, you know, if he's missing, he's missing in the wrong direction or batters haven't missed when he's missed. I mean, there's luck involved in whether the hitter is there to hit it. You know, a lot of times hitters miss hittable pitches. And so if I had to guess, that would be my leading, uh, my leading hypothesis is just that he's been hitting, getting hit because he hasn't been pitching that well and he could start pitching that well again tomorrow. I want to say the leading hypothesis is that he's hurt or that there's some lingering pain that is continuing to disrupt him and that it won't be an easy fix. I just don't really see an indication, an obvious indication of injury in his performance. Mm-hmm. I don't know though. It's hard. I mean, it, it's weird because we think about the risk on pitching prospects all the time or on pitchers in general as mainly being health related, that they can be great today and be out for 18 months tomorrow or that they can be great this year but lose a mile and a half every year for the next three and be Matt Morris by the time they're 26. And neither one of those things has happened to Strasburg. And yet, he has suddenly gone from being slightly disappointing but probably unfairly disappointing to being this big disaster in the middle of the league. And there was just how, – how much would you have had to how, – how, what would the odds have had to have been for you to bet on this? Like this was not an option. There were ways that Strasbourg could hit his 10th percentile projection to be sure – or that he could fail to give the Nationals value. But not like this. This was not conceivable. It was not possible. And yet, it is. I mean, he was a top five pitcher coming into the year based on his experience, based on his, his performance, based on what he did, you know, just as his profile as a pitcher. And that the, a top five pitcher could be this bad for no real reason. No, no, no clear, convincing reason. No necessarily external factor. He's just bad. Just happened. Is mm-hmm. is weird. It's an underrated aspect of pitcher collapsing. Uh, the pitcher collapsing genre. Just the just the total mystery. There, just the Malaysian flight of pitchers. Yeah, and and I guess that I would say that there's no real precedent for this that I can think of off the top of my head. Every pitcher that right now I'm thinking of collapsing, you can say. It's injury, age, or velocity, and or yips. And I don't have a profile in mind of a guy who comps to Steven Strasburg right now. And therefore, I think the leading hypothesis is actually... I, in fact, I'm going to say the leading hypothesis is that, in fact, all the articles looking to show that it's not just luck and it's not just FIP and it's not just, you know, fluke are looking too hard. I'm sticking, mm-hmm. I'm sticking with fluke. I know that it's, I don't normally like that explanation, but I'm, in this case, because I can't think of another guy 
who matches Strasburg uh, in this trajectory. I think he turns it around. And I will say, bold take here, Ben. Bold take. <laughs> if I had a start, if I had a game tomorrow and I needed a pitcher, there aren't 10 guys I would take before Strasburg. Hmm. That's a, quite a vote of confidence. That means yeah, yeah, so it's easy to vote confidently. Last year of 88 qualified pitchers, he had the 12th lowest contact rate. And this year, out of 109 qualified pitchers, he has the 17th highest. So he is right around Bartoa Colon, Jordan Zimmerman, James Paxton, Roberto Hernandez. He <laughs> has a a lower contact rate than Steven Strasburg. So that's pretty interesting. He still struck out over a batter per inning, but guys are not missing when they swing. And, and that is something that stabilizes pretty quickly. And he's only had nine starts, 44 innings. It's not a huge sample. But, yeah. man, to have that drastic a decline would have to be just for no reason... At all, just, you know, from facing better hitters or just facing hitters on good days or saying, whatever no, it is. No, I'm not saying that it's, it's bad. He's pitched worse. I mm-hmm. believe he's pitched worse. I believe he has made more mistakes. But, I mean, if a, if, look, a golfer is going to have a thousand mistakes over the course of, you know, a thousand rounds. And it's not unreasonable that eight of those mistakes could cluster in uh you know an elite golfer i don't even know those are made up nurse but it's not it's not unrealistic that those mistakes could cluster not only in the same round but in the same hole and i think that's probably my leading hypothesis is that just he's had a series of bad outings that he's just kind of cl- clustered his bad stuff in there that and it is only look it's 212 batters i know that these things that you cited stabilize quickly but we're talking about 400 major league pitchers. There's going to be, there's going to be outliers. And if it were, you know, if it were Zimmerman or if it were another pretty good pitcher, if it were Granky, I don't know that we've been, we'd be talking about him. It just so happens that it's Strasburg who gets talked about. And the whole thing with stabilizing stats, as Russell Carlton always takes pains to point out when we say that something stabilizes in a certain number of batters or something, that means that over that number, of batters over that sample, what his actual performance was is likely to be a real reflection of what his true talent was during that time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to continue to be his his actual talent, his underlying performance going forward. It's generally a, a decent predictor. What a guy is right now is often what he is tomorrow. But not always. It could just be what he was during that time, and then he did something different, and now that sample no longer applies as well. So it could just be a funk. That could be the official diagnosis. He's in a funk. All right, Ben, I got one for you. Okay. Steven Strasburg's 10th percentile projection going mm-hmm. forward. I want to know, or for the year. Okay, so Steven Strasburg's ERA is 650. His whip is 1.69. Nice. What is Steven Strasburg's 10th percentile projection for ERA and WHIP in 2015? Well, what was it preseason? No, I'm giving. I'm asking you preseason. All right. So preseason, I'll say it was 4.6. Okay, and WHIP? WHIP 1.45. It was actually 3.6. 
and 1.18. <laughs> wow. So his ERA is three runs higher than his 10th percentile projection. And his whip is about a half a base runner per inning more than his 10th percentile projection. Now, of course, this isn't a full season. I will bet anything in the world that both of those numbers, assuming he keeps pitching, will go down some. However, that is really bad. Okay, here's one. Would you bet on which is which is bigger, the amount that Tim Lincecum's ERA will climb relative to where it was last week when we talked to him, or the amount that Steven Strasburg's ERA over the rest of the season will fall relative to where it is today? Well, Lincecum's has already gone up a half a run. <laughs> right. I would say, so Lincecum's was about 205. And I would guess that Linskamins is year around three, four, five. That's pretty optimistic. Well, he's got a quarter of the season banked. Yeah. And it's still a hitter's park. I mean, a pitcher's park. And he might get injured. So, <laughs> uh, so that's a run and a half. Strasburg's at six, five. And I'll put him at four, four, five. So that's about two runs. So I will say Strasburg will drop more than Linscombe goes up. I agree. But I'll say it's closer. Then you think it will um, be. Because you think Lincecum will be worse. Yes. Do you think Strasburg's ERA at the end of the season will be higher or lower than 4.45? I think it will be, I think lower. Really? My, uh, bold take looking pretty non-bold. Pretty tepid. Pretty, uh, <laughs> plain, plain text. What is yeah. non-bold? What is, what is the opposite of bold? Pretty italics. <laughs> unbolded. Pretty unbolded. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe they'll just meet in the middle somewhere. Maybe okay. they'll end up at the same place. Uh, okay, I, I, uh, this is a fake bet, but I bet a dollar that Tim Linscombe will have an ERA higher than Strasburg this year. How much would you put up to win that dollar? <laughs> at any point this year, end of the, the year? year? End of the year, Tim Linscombe has a higher ERA than Steven Strasburg. I'll say, yeah, I, I don't know, $2? So you think there's a 67% chance that Strasburg will have a better ERA than Linskim at the end of the year? Yeah. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's four runs behind! The ERAs can change pretty quickly. Look, I think the Warriors are much better than the Rockets, but when they were down 25 in the first quarter, I kind of was like, okay, I would have quit betting on him. Four <laughs> runs! That's a pretty big gap. That's a bad bet, probably. <laughs> and a bet only Andy McCullough would make. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay, so that is it for today. Send us emails. We'll answer them at some point. Podcast at BaseballProspectus.com. Facebook group is at Facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild, where Sonoma Stompers press releases are analyzed, posted and analyzed before I am even aware that they are on the Internet. And... Our sponsor is the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Go to BaseballReference.com, use the coupon code PP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Hey, can I make a quick, can I make a quick thing? Uh, yeah. We've been talking about how A-Rod has needed to hit more home runs from age 39 onward than anybody in history in order to beat Barry Bonds' record. However, mm-hmm. he now no longer does in the sense that if like we start today as counting his 839. Like, he does still, if you count the past as part of 39, but he's still 39 right now. Mm-hmm. And so, like, man, he's 39 right now. So from this point on, you know, he needs to hit fewer home runs in his career than Bonds did. So, doable. Yeah. Uh, 
to that okay. logical tip. All right. We'll be back.